Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot even be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumbered the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Just close your eyes with me, Father. We bring our hearts before you. The great teacher. We bring our hearts before your word. We want to ask you to speak to us, Lord. I want to ask that we'd be expectant that you have, before time began, put in play words that would shape and mold our lives today, Lord. We don't come to a new tradition. We come to thousands of years of a God who's on the move, a God who's been working forever. And we get to play our little part as we jump into this, this stream, this great river of saints of old, of the church of old, that you have been through the generations, caring for, protecting, loving, shaping. And Father, this morning we bring our lives and say we want to be used by you too. We want to be part of this river too. And we ask that your word would shape us and make us tools in your hand. In your wonderful name. Amen. Guys, I'm going to start off by telling you two, two connected stories this morning. I want you to go back in your mind, if you were alive, to 1995. In 1995, two young men were born, two young boys were born. In incredibly different circumstances. The one young man was born in an Australian family. They were wealthy. They were influential. Another young boy was born in Papua New Guinea in Indonesia into one of the most poverty-stricken areas of the whole world. 
Then I want you to fast forward 25 years to 2020. So these boys are 25 years old. And these two young babies, now men, meet in a maximum security prison on the mainland, Bali, in Indonesia. And they become friends. And as they become friends, they find out about each other's lives. And they tell each other the story of how they ended up in this prison. The Indonesian is there for life. No option of parole. He will be there until he dies. The Australian is seven years into a 20-year sentence. The Indonesian tells his story first, and he tells how he grew up in a home where his mother and his father loved him dearly, but they had very little to go around. They grew up in abject poverty, but he still cherishes this love of his father. His early memories of difficult situational hardship are tempered by his memories of his home, of love. At 18, um, as desperation sets in for their family, he travels to Bali, to the mainland, to try and find work. He's falsely accused of murdering um, his employer and is an unable, because he has no connections, his father, despite his father's deep and enduring love for his son, his father is unable to do anything to help him. He has no financial resources to pay for a good lawyer. He has no networking clout. He has no political clout. He does everything he can, meets with everyone that he can, but it's at such a low level that it's powerless. And his son is thrown into a lifetime of jail. On his day of sentencing, his father is in the courtroom and his father has traveled to be with him. And while their love is so deep and their love is so evident and it's so real and their tears are so sincere and so heartbroken in that moment and for thousands of moments after that moment, the father and the son wish that with the love there had been power to change something. The Australian goes second and tells his story and he pulls back the curtain on a family in decay, a family in the, in the early stages of breaking apart. His dad works all day and all night, it seems. His father is incredibly successful, deeply connected, politically connected, a powerful man. But he's absent and aloof for both his wife and his children. Soon his father begins to hit them as he comes home with great stress and with great power but he's exercising this power in completely illegitimate ways in the home. It, it leads to divorce. It leads to hatred. Dad finds a new life. New wife moves on. And the son has this hatred for his father. And his father has this hatred for his son that over the years only intensifies. At 18 years old, this young Australian man goes on holiday with friends to Indonesia. In his naivety and entitlement, he takes some drugs and hides them in his suitcase for the party that he's going to have with his friends as they've just finished school. He tells his Indonesian friend of the desperate moments of fear of being caught and realizing that Indonesia has some of the most hectic drug laws in the world, of trying to get hold of his powerful father, to lean on his political connections, to lean on his finance ability, to lean on getting a good lawyer. But the pain of final rejection, the consummation of years and years of built-up hatred as his father refuses to help. He recalls the days after his sentencing spent weeping at absolute rejection of the love of the father. almost feels greater to him than the burden of his 20-year Sentence. And so while his father is powerful and able, his father is completely unloving and unwilling to help. This morning I want to be speaking, as I said to you last week, 
around our Father who both loves us and is powerful. And I want to use these stories as a way to illustrate what a, a heavenly Father who loves us with an enduring love. This is what we spoke about, I think it was eight weeks ago before Ian came. I started feeling God putting this on our hearts so strongly. I'm going to be preaching on it for a couple of weeks. Riley will be speaking on it. I think we're going to do another four or five weeks or so. And I just I feel it's like so foundational to us to understand the love of God for us. And we're going to be looking at different facets of that diamond. And this morning, we're looking at the facet of God's love and His power and His his might. But in those weeks, eight weeks ago, I spoke about a heavenly father who loves us with an enduring love, who's chosen us, who's adopted us. This is the, the father of, of love. But is, if we believe that we have that father, but also at the same time hold to the belief that he's anemic, or that he's weak, or that he's a powerless God, well then friends, we're in real trouble because that God can't help us very much. That God, when we come with our issue of guilt and of our sin, which we all know that we carry, our guilt remains. While he might love us, if he's powerless to, to, to take away the guilt, then our guilt remains. If we come to that God who loves us, but who is anemic in his power, then our struggle with sin, which every single one of us struggle with every day, that, that, that sin that Paul cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So desperate is he to be rid of this, this humanness, this, this fleshiness that so clings to us like the smell of dog poo on your shoe. Right? That's what it's like. If we have a God who loves us but who's powerless, then we are powerless in our sin. He cannot give us power to deal with, with our human condition. If we have a God who loves us but who is powerless, then death is permanent. We have no resurrection. We have no heaven. Heaven is a myth. Eternity is a myth if our God is a powerless God. In whatever situation you face today, your brokenness, your, your hurt, our world circumstances, right? Just what's going on around the world. If we have a Father who is powerless, we may as well accept that nothing can be changed and just get on with our miserable lives. If we have a God who loves us but who is powerless, surely we can just go ahead and do whatever we want to anyone we want, however we want. We can live like we want because He's powerless to bring any judgment. He's powerless to bring any mercy into our world. He's powerless to bring any justice into our world each man for himself just do as you like now this this picture is not a, a god that i want to follow it's not a world that i want to live in and thank god that it's not the god of the bible thank god that this is not who he's revealed himself to be now conversely the second story illustrates the, or the story of the australian illustrates to us a, a story of a powerful god but who is aloof and unloving and unwilling to help and in some ways for me i find this even more jarring i almost find it more i'd rather be the son who has a father who loves him and just can't help than a father who's got all the help and all the power in the world but who refuses to help me because he won't love me a God who's able to help with forgiveness, but won't. A God who could re reach into humanity and help, but who stands aloof 
and distant and uncaring. A cruel, capricious kind of judgment. If this is the God that we have, then the judgment that we face, we should fear. Because he will not judge with any mercy. He will judge cruelly. He will judge capriciously, almost enjoyment in the judgment of these people that he has created. Let me ask you a question. Is this the God you want to serve? It's not a kid's church question. It's very easy. You just know. Let me just try and open this quickly. So here's my big idea for this morning. Is that God is... Well, I'm going to actually use the words I wrote down. Our Father, I think those are important words. Our Father is more loving than we could ever imagine and more powerful than we could ever comprehend. That's the big idea. That's what I want you to go away with today. Our Father is more loving than we could ever imagine and more powerful than we could ever comprehend. Friends, if you are struggling with the love of God, I encourage you, there's a lot of resources, including from this church. Go back eight weeks, get on our website, go and listen to it. It's sermons on the love of the Father, how much God loves us. I'm not going to focus too much on that today, but it's there for you. Go and get it. But today, I want to commend to you a God who is all-powerful, a God who is mighty, a God who is creator, just that word, a God who is, who is able to, I, I just... I love that I can take almost any aspects I can think of and push it through God's word and think about, so let's take one for example, the sea. And, and just take any aspect, let me finish that sentence, take any aspect and it just displays the power of God to me as I push it through year after year as I read God's word. So you just take something as inanimate as the sea, right? And suddenly you start to think about how God shows his power through the sea. And how Job speaks about how like, here your fierce waves must stop. He sets the boundary and that's how far they can go. And then God says, stop. Not global warming. God says, stop. And the waves stop. I think about the Israelites. This, this group of over a million people. It's estimated 1.4, somewhere around there. million people fleeing from the most powerful army in the world. With their forks and their spoons. And maybe like a few farming utensils with an army of, of, of chariots that were cut you to pieces and God forms behind them a cloud that stops the Egyptians from reaching them and then God parts the sea and they walk through and then God closes the sea and destroys that army. I think about Jesus standing in that boat or sleeping in that boat actually. I like that story. Fast asleep. And the waves and the disciples, don't you love us? Don't you care, Jesus? We're going to die here. And Jesus gets up and commands, be still. And says, then they fell on their knees. And Peter says, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. They see the power of God. I think about, I think about Peter and the conversation, I think it was Peter, the conversation about taxes. Right? And Jesus says, go and fish. And Peter goes and drops a hook into the ocean and a certain fish that God somewhere has told to pick up some part of a, of a sunken treasure picks up a gold coin in its mouth and bites on Peter's hook and Peter catches this fish and goes, oh, here's the money for my taxes. If I got that story right, I might have some of it wrong, but that's, that's, this is the power of the sea. God just through the sea. And then you could think about creation you could think about all sorts of little things i like thinking about animals and just like balaam's donkey speaking 
And how God uses, like in Job and in the Psalms, how he speaks about how the young lions come to him for food. I love thinking about Matthew chapter 6 and how Solomon in all his splendor, it says, was nothing compared to the lilies of the field, which are here today and tomorrow they're just thrown into the fire. All your A-list celebrities, all the, 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 the royalty of the UK, all their finery, everything they wear, everything they can, they can get the greatest creators of, of clothing to create for them, God just laughs and says, I just made something this morning that grew up in your garden that's more beautiful and it's going to be gone tomorrow, by the way. This is the power of our God. This is the power of our King. And, and almost every attribute that you can think of, apart from even just thinking about people's lives in the Bible and around us, I mean, how powerful was last weekend? How powerful was it to have people stand up here and give testimony to the power of God in their lives? And right in the midst of it, guys, did you notice how many testimonies were not like, this happened and now it's great and now my life's completely wonderful. It's like, no, I'm in the middle of brokenness, but I'm clinging to God and He is healing. He is working. He is restoring. He's helping me go through the most hectic scenarios I've ever faced. Clive, your testimony was profound profound the power of God at work in our community right so I, I know Psalm 139 that Kate read beautifully for us just now isn't she lovely hey I've often read that psalm as a as a view of God's love for me I knit you together in your mother's womb. I was there. I, and I do think it says that. And I used that when I was preaching on the love of God. We spoke from that. But I want to take five minutes as a congregation. And you're going to do this either just, if you want to do it on your own, do it on your own. If you'd like to do it with someone around you, do it with someone around you. You can choose. It's one of those days today. But I want you to, to I'm going to read it again. And I want you to look at this psalm through the lens of the power of of God. I want to ask you a very simple question. Do you believe the psalm? Do you believe what the psalmist David is writing? This is what he says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Johan, Sunei, do you believe that God knows absolutely everything about your lives? about the motives that you're fighting to try and figure out what, Lord, what's my motive happening here? What's going on in my heart? I, I say this, but I feel this. I'm double-tongued. And God just goes, I know exactly why you're doing that. I know down to knitting you together in your mother's womb why you do that. I know the hurts where that comes from. And, and on and on we go, right, I don't want to spend too long on this. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. It's a wonderful verse and a scary verse. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the graves, you are the, to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. 
darkness and light are the same to you. Just two minutes. Won't you just meditate? Won't you throw it back to verse one for us? There we go. Just meditate on these few verses and ask yourself the questions. Do I believe, not just, this is not just about you personally, guys. Do you know how many people are in the world right now? 8 point, what did I write down? 7.837 billion. Do you believe that God can do this for every single person on the planet? Just two minutes. I'd love you to think about that. Jesus tells a beautiful, or the Gospels tell the beautiful story of Jesus with the father who has a son who keeps on getting thrown into the fire. And it tells, Jesus is speaking about a lack of faith, and people have a lack of faith as not believing in the power of God, right? And then the father has this little phrase where he says, he comes to Jesus and it says, if you can heal my son. And then Jesus says, like, if... And then one of my favorite little phrases in all, all of the Gospels is the Father's response where he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And whenever I meditate on scriptures like this, I feel like this is the prayer that's bubbling in my heart. Like, Lord, I get it a little bit. I see it a little bit. But help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. It's so hard to live in this. Guys, but the the reality that I'm trying to press through as I speak this morning is that God's word is not quiet on the subject of God's power. It's not quiet on it. The question is, do we believe it? Do we believe what God's word says about God? Do we believe that God is the healer? That he's absolutely, completely, any disease obeys God? That no matter what is going on in your body, down to this little molecular structure, that you could go to the greatest specialists in the world and they could all get into a room and they could all try and figure out what is going on with your body, whatever illness or chronic illness you may have, and they can go to the, to the, to the, 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 the nth of human wisdom and they still have no idea. It just shocks me how many times doctors say, I have no idea. I'm like, what do we pay you for if you have no idea? Right? It's because God is the healer, ultimately. Doctors are an incredibly useful tool in his hand. But do we believe that when every specialist mind is boggled, that God looks at us and goes, I know exactly what is going on, down to the tiniest detail of your cell structure. Do you, do you believe that one day, I just was thinking about this this week, and it really, it really boggled my mind. I was thinking about resurrection and how, do you know the scripture says that everyone will be resurrected, not just the believers. Everyone will be physically resurrected. Your body. Now think about cremation. I spent about an hour scratching my head on that one. <laughs> then I thought, then I thought about people who've drowned at sea and then been like never been found, right? And like, <laughs> someone enjoys that one. And like, you, I, I don't mean to be coarse, but I mean, you've been spread into all over the, like, How? How? And the best I came up with, like a good doctor, is I have no idea. <laughs> I have 
no idea. But one day, billions upon billions upon billions of people are going to be resurrected in earthly form, in bodily, not earthly, bodily form, from this earth to stand before God on judgment day. That's what scripture teaches. And so I'm going, I believe these things. I believe it because God's word teaches it to be so. And, and one hope, this is our vision, that we are a word and a spirit people. We are a word people. We're a people who take God's word. We have a little phrase here. The Bible is our book. The Bible is our book. We're not, we're not going to corporate to tell us how to run church. The Bible is our book. We're not going to corporate or to, to whoever it may be, the culture, the world, to tell us what we think about our gender. The Bible tells us what we think about our gender. That's where we go. And we're going to face increasing pressure on this. But we have no other place to go. We have no other place to go. We are not rewriting God's word. We're not second guessing God's word. We're not making changes to God's word because culture is demanding that we make changes or putting pressure on us. When other generations before us haven't even considered these things, suddenly it's like, no, let's reinterpret the Bible to say what actually they've been saying for 2,000 years. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. And we've got to find our courage, not because we're somehow courageous people, but because we believe in a mighty God who self-revealed himself through his word and says, this is who I am. And then asks us the question, will you believe it? Will you believe it? We have no need to change one word. Friend, and, and the scary thing is that if we add any caveats, Consciously or subconsciously, we are worshiping a God less than the God of the Bible. So if you say, I believe this about God, but. All right, so let's, let's think for a moment about creation. Someone sent me a, a long voice note this last week around creation. And do I believe in the, in the seven-day creation? And, and I'm going I'm I'm to offend a whole bunch of you when, when you go on to this topic. I've got John already giving me daggers over there. We're going to be in trouble this morning. Listen, this is what I want to tell you. Do you believe that in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth? God created the heavens and the earth. I hear so many Christians. I've heard it come out of my own mouth. God created the heavens and the earth, but he didn't do it in seven days. Says who? Do you, do you not get the irony of that statement? God created the heavens and the earth. And little man goes, but he didn't do it like this. He didn't do it like that. Now, I'm, not, I'm genuinely not pitching for, for a, a method of how God created. I'm pretty certain God didn't write Genesis so that we had a scientific account. I'm certain on that, personally. I believe God wanted to show us that He is powerful and He's the creator. And that's what shouts out of the book of Genesis. I don't think He's trying to tell us every single detail of everything that He made. I'm not arguing about the, F, the, the, the method. I'm asking you, do you believe without any caveats? Do you believe? It's, it's like, I've always had this picture since I was like a teenager. I can't remember where it came from, but of like a, of like a little ant running around on a keyboard. I think I've shared this here before. Like, let's say it's on the, on the, on the K key. And it's busy running around the K key, and it's like, oh, I'm so powerful, I'm so powerful. Look what I understand. I understand the K key. You know, and it's on a key. It's completely oblivious to the power of the computer that that thing actually controls. And I so often feel like we are like that as believers. Like, we, we're oblivious to the power of this God. We say things which someone should go, pardon? And help us see that we're completely missing. God can create the whole world, but. Okay, I think you get my point. 
But friends, this is, this is so critically important because this is the God of the Bible. And if we are going to call ourselves Christians, Christ followers, then this is what we believe. This is what we hold as our standard. And if it's not, then call your religion something else. Call your God something else. If he's not the God of the Bible, then you are not a Christian. You are not following the God of the Bible. And I'm not trying to get angry with you, and I'm not trying to shout at you. I'm trying to help us have confidence that actually when God says, I'm powerful and I'm loving, we go, yes, you are. If our God is loving but weak, we have a problem. If our God is powerful but unloving, we have a problem. Let me start to end this morning with asking you what aspects of God are you struggling with? Which of those sides do you fall on? If your view, I want to I just give us some practical telltale signs that I think might be helpful to help you go, I think this is where I'm leaning. Right? Would that be helpful? If you shake your head, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just, like, just finish and sit down, you know. If your view is that God is a very loving God, but that he's weak, you might hold it consciously, but more than likely you hold it unconsciously. Here are a few telltale signs to watch out for. I think that person will struggle with faith for provision. I think you'll struggle to believe that God is really your provider. When the biblical view of how large and in charge God is gets hold of your heart, you realize that God is not only loving, but that he's powerful. When God speaks in Matthew 6, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will wear. He's not going after the, the Dolce and Gabbana. He's going, after like, he's going after like the basics. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will wear. Don't I care for the sparrows? Don't I create the lilies which are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the fire? This is where we're going to struggle. If we believe that God loves us, but he doesn't really have much power. We're going, to, we're going to struggle really practically to give money and possessions away. We're going to struggle to say, God, I, this makes no sense. It makes no sense to do this. this. I can't make my monthly budget if I do this, but I believe you're telling me to give this to that waitress or to do this or whatever it might be or to, to generously, lavishly give into some community project, but it makes no sense. You can't do that if you believe in a God who loves you but who's not powerful because you are your provision. He is not our provision. Another way that we can see that we believe in a God who is loving but weak is that we struggle with self-reliance. Hand up for me on this one. This is one of the greatest struggles of my life. I depend on me. I'm not going to trust you. I depend on me. You must depend on you. After all, why would you depend on a weak God? This is one of the reveals for me. I say, God, I, I, I call you powerful. I say you're powerful. But when, when the tacky hits the tar, the first thing I do is start doing. I start working out because Paul's going to work it out. That is a, that's a betrayal 
to me of my own heart. And I've got to look at that and go, hey, in the, in the honest light of day, do you really believe that God is powerful? No, you don't. Okay, so let's get back to the text. Because God is powerful, but somewhere there's static noise in my system because I don't really believe that. And my default is to jump to Paul doing Paul stuff. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> you must be strong. If our view of God is that God is loving but weak, my guess is that you probably struggle with prayer. Ongoingly, struggle with prayer. If God is weak, then why pray? Why spend time praying when you could be spent time doing if God is weak, right? This is the, this is the faulty. And ultimately, like all sin actually, there's not a single sin that, I can fi- that I've been able to figure out that doesn't lead to pride. Eventually, it's I have to, I will, I must. I must make sure that I never have to rely on anyone in my life again because they let me down. It's about, and it cascades into these dangerous pathologies which I don't have time to go into. If your view is that God is powerful, this is the other side, if your view is that God is powerful but somehow unloving, Here are some telltale signs for you to watch out for. I bet you struggle with the idea that you can't earn your salvation. Because you see this powerful God in your mind, but he's an unloving God, and so constantly you've got to try and prove to him that you are worthy of his love. That you are enough for him. And so you're going to struggle with working and working and working to say to him, accept me, accept me, accept me, because you've got a deficient view of the love of God. If this is you, the free gift of salvation, when someone says, God just gives it away for free, what do I have to do? Nothing. It's free. Can I lose it? No, it's free. He's giving it to you. That might even be offensive for you. At best, it's unpalatable. It doesn't make sense. I want to work. I want to do something for it. I bet, second, second little flag here for you, if you struggle with, you understand something of the power of God, but you struggle with the love of God, is probably you struggle, you struggle, <laughs> you struggle with your words, with an, <laughs> with an unhealthy fear of God. You see him as powerful but unloving, and so you live in expectation of retribution or judgment or punishment on your life. Guys, I've, I've heard from Christian mouths, my mouth, my wife's mouth, us. I've heard so many telltale signs of this one. Like if I don't do this, then my car's going to break down, or then I'm going to get cancer. Had people come, I remember when Pete had a stroke nine years ago, Pete and Jan, Pete and Jan Hard Brown were the guys who, who pioneered the church, which planted this church. He had a stroke at 51 years old, taken out of ministry. They've since lost their daughter, who was part of our community in childbirth a, a year ago. They've just gone through the most tremendous things. I've had people come up to me and say, how, how, could, how could it be? They were such, they're such good people. They've loved God so well. They've loved God with, with all their lives. What is that? That's, an under, that's a misunderstanding of this thing. That somehow God is judging them or God is punishing them because he's powerful but he's not very 
loving rather than a trust in the sovereign work of God in our lives, despite the brokenness of the world, despite the ups and downs of what we all are going to face. And then you could take, ironically, every single one of these points and they would be able to be switched around into the, into the other phase. So as an example, if you, if you believe that God is provider, you struggle with God as provider because God is loving but not powerful, you're going to go, well, God is not my provider because, yes, he loves me, but he's not strong enough to actually provide for me. But the other way around, if God is powerful but unloving, you go, well, he's not going to provide for me because he could, but he's not going to want to because he doesn't love me. So all of these actually feed into one another, if that makes sense. And you could go through dependence, you could go on prayer. And what is prayer? If you believe that God is powerful but unloving, then prayer is religious. You know, we all go to God when we're in need. If you heard the saying, there's never an atheist in an earthquake. We go to God when we're in need because we still see him as powerful. But if we see God as unloving, then it becomes a religious needs must. I need you, so therefore I ask for your power and hope that somehow I've done enough that you're going to give me. Do you see how it works? The sick pattern. What's our big idea? Our Father is more loving than we could ever imagine, more powerful than we could ever comprehend. We're never going to get our head around this. We're going to spend the rest of our days trying to get our head around this, trying to figure out. Guys, I want to, I want to give you three little things, just so simple. What to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. Here's my pastor's heart. We, we, I'm making a huge assumption here this morning that we're actually strong on one of these two attributes. That somehow we've grasped the power of God or somehow we've grasped the love of God. But in reality, I think so many of us are struggling with both. I think we're struggling both to grasp God's love and to grasp God's power. And I think there's a journey that you're going to live for the rest of your life, really. I mean, that should, take, that should make us just breathe out. All right? This is not a moment thing. This is not a come up, get prayed for, have an emotional moment, and you now understand the power of God forever and ever. This is hard work. This is getting fit, running, 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 year after year. You stop for six months, you're unfit again. Okay? And I want to just give you three tiny little things that I think can help us. Number one, repent. When we see these things, the default position of our heart should be to come to our Father and say, I'm sorry. I haven't seen you rightly. I can see you. When I, when I, when I jump to Paul, doing Paul stuff, the first thing I actually need to do is go back to my family and to my Father and say, I'm sorry. You watch Dad do this in this moment. When I panicked, I did this. Actually, God's Word tells me this. And so we start with repentance. Secondly, we prayerfully meditate. This is the only thing I know to change me. So I go to God's word again and again and again. That psalm Ollie read this morning, Psalm 95, is profound. Psalm 116, Clive spoke about in his testimony. I've been meditating on that for a few weeks. It's profound about this God who leans down and hears us. Leans down and, and, and listens to, to mankind. But we have to go through God's word. I remember, um, I, think it was, I think it was Eton, it might have been Eton, saying, um, 
that the Holy Spirit can only bring to remembrance, because you know that verse that says, He will bring to remembrance. He can only bring to remembrance what you've read. You can't remember what you don't have yet. So if we are not people of the Word, if we are not immersing ourselves in God's Word, in meditation, in prayerful meditation of God's Word, and then we get into crisis mode and we're like, bring to memory! Right? The, the memory is of, oh yes, God, your word said. When I was going through that 10 years ago, and I, this was the verse that became like a life verse for me. Your word says, God. And so we repent, we prayerful meditation, and then over a period of years and years and years and years, increasingly our minds are renewed. And guys, this, this, is, this is the silver bullet. You want a silver bullet? How do, how do you understand this this morning? The power and the love of God? Spend the next till you die. This is the gospel. Is that slowly but surely, the power of the evil one that grips our hearts as we come to salvation, there's a moment where God says, he's mine, he's mine, he's chosen. And we have Jesus covering us. So God looks at us and goes, wow, Jesus. He's not seeing Paul, but that's not my lived experience. That's not your lived experience. It's not your wife's lived experience. It's not your friend's lived experience. Their lived experience is Paul battling through his stuff. But as I do, there's freedom. First from the penalty of sin. That's like that Jesus sees me and I'm, I'm clean. The penalty of sin is gone. But then there's freedom from the power of sin. And the power of sin is what we live with until the day we die. But hopefully, as we're following Jesus, if we do follow Jesus, what happens is that the power of sin begins to weaken. The devil's side begins to weaken. And the power of the Holy Spirit grows in us so that we are more and more and more sanctified. We should look more like Jesus 10 years after following him. We should look more like him 20 years after. And we should look so much more like Jesus on our deathbed. Right? And then ultimately, so those, that's the first two freedoms, freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the power of sin, and then we have freedom from the presence of sin. One day, one day, there's a day coming to a cinema near you, right? Where one day we will be free from the presence of sin. We will stand with Jesus and the greatest thing that could ever happen on that day is that there will be no more sin. Believers who are fighting right here on earth, will not be fighting. Marriages that have broken apart yet will not be broken apart. We will be free. Forever and ever free. That's called glorification. We'll be glorified between before Jesus. And those three little things. But then that's like the long term. That's like the next 50 years, hopefully 60 years. What about right now? You're struggling with things. Friends, I, I don't have a quick answer for you. What I can tell you it's like God's word tells us to pray, like we did in the community this morning, to pray and say, Lord, fill us with your power. Fill us with compassion for one another, that we can walk journeys with one another, that we can love each other, that we can pray sincerely to the God who has power because we don't have it. And that's my encouragement to you this morning. I want to finish off with one final little story that closes my stories about these two young men. It's another young man. We can call him whatever you like, Mark. I don't know. He's driving 120 kilometers an hour in an 80 zone. You might have heard this story before. It's quite well known. He's caught and arrested. Because when you're driving that fast over the speed limit, you should get arrested. 
He goes straight to the courthouse. The police take him straight there to face the judge. The best news in the world is that his dad is the judge of this town. So he goes to stand before his dad. As he comes in and he realizes that it's his dad's domain or his dad's town, you remember that your dad is a really good judge. He's a really good judge. And this this creates a bit of a problem in you because you realize that he never punishes the innocent, but he always punishes the guilty. You're a bit nervous. What's going to win out today? His love or his justice? What's going to win? You stand before your dad that loves you so much, but also wants to do good and wants to be a just judge. And he asks you, what do you plead, son? And you say, guilty, dad. I'm guilty. So he sentences you 15,000 rand or three weeks in jail. Well, you're not that good at saving your pocket money. And so you don't have 15,000 rand. And so the police come and they're going to take you off to jail for your three-week stint. As they are getting you ready to go, your dad stands up and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he takes off his gown. And he walks down. And from his wallet, he takes out 15,000 rand. And he goes like this and he says, do you want it, son? Do you want it? And you've got that moment, right? What has the father done in that moment? Is he just or is he loving? He's both. And this is so often where we take God and we, and we put him in one bracket or the other. Either he's this or he's that. No, he's both. All the attributes we see of God are perfect attributes. They're attributes that work completely in sync with one another. And now you have that moment this morning. If you don't know Jesus, this is the moment that you have this morning where Jesus is standing before you, the Father is standing before you and going, here's the penalty for your guilt. Here's the price for your guilt not everyone takes it God is so just he must punish our sin God is so loving that he sent Jesus and God is so powerful that the death of Jesus truly sets us free truly sets us free we're resurrected in Jesus Christ we have new life new identity new ways to come to him and say father show us your power Show us your love. We want to walk in these things. Amen? We're going to take communion. I'm going to pray for us before we do that. Lord, um, I said a lot of things this morning. Maybe too many things. I don't know. But Father, I ask you that in your grace you would come and in each of our lives work out what we need to hear. And by the power of your spirit, which indwells those of us who follow you, press it into our hearts, Lord. There's hundreds of situations in this room today. Different situations, different life stories, different things going on, different needs. Different ways we see you wrong. Sometimes we see you right. It's beautiful moments of revelation where it just feels like everything is the right way up. We ask you, to help us to be a repentant people. To see quickly. To have friends around us who are courageous enough to say, hey man, I think you're doing that.
I think you're trusting in you rather than, do you really trust God? Do you really see the power of God? Father, I pray that we'd be a people who are meditative people, who come to your word again and again. And like a person having a shower, we just say, would you wash me again with your word? Would you wash me again? I've got all this dirt that accumulates from all the TV I watch and all the world and the corporate and the, and the, the job I work and the world I walk in. It just fills me with this dirt and I'm, I'm so filthy. Just wash me again. Remind me again. I'm going to meditate again. Show me your power. Show me your love again and again and again. And from that place, Lord, we know that you say that you will renew our minds. You will sanctify us. Philippians, he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. You're the one who brings it to completion. You're the one who begins it. He who begun a good work in you. It's not my work, it's your work. You will bring it to completion, Lord. And we say we putty in your hands. We want to learn, we want to grow with you. In Jesus' name.